You are listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Ken Herrock kind enough to join us, an AFL champion, a AFL-NFL champion when it came to what happened in 1967, one of the great Raider teams of all time. He was their tight end and then went on to be one of the great talent evaluators in Raider history. Ken, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on, especially ahead of the draft. How are you? Thank you, JT. Glad to be on here. Let's jump in. Before we get to your career as an evaluator and in personnel, man, that was one hell of a team you played on when you came to the Raiders from 1963 to 67. What was it like for you being around so much talent at that time on both sides of the ball and the team being led in the Al Davis era beginning? Well, it was really uh, intriguing in those days, uh, JT. We only had 33 guys on a roster, which made it really tough to make the team, first of all. And uh, uh, Al Davis put that, that team together with five, five assistant coaches. That's all he had. Now in the league you go through, you have 25 assistants. And to put together a team like he did, and build that team into that franchise and build it what it is today, it's just remarkable. And uh, I, like I said, I owe, I owe everything to him because he gave me an opportunity to, to play and start for him, uh, gave me an opportunity to come back into the front office and contribute to the Raiders, and I owe him, uh, his wife Caroli and Mark, uh, just about everything that I've ever done in my life uh, has been uh, uh, you know, probably because of what they did for me. Nicely said. As a tight end, you were a hell of a blocker, you know, before you even came to the Raiders. But was that a key to you, being on this roster and being successful because the offensive line was so good that you guys were so prepped up in run blocking, pass protection? Obviously, you were running routes. But how much did you learn from those great offensive linemen who lined up next to you? Well, I can, I can read them all off. Uh, the guys that played on that team, Art Shell. Gene Upshaw, Jim Otto. These are Hall of Fame players. Man. Yeah. You're, you're looking at Hall of Fame and you're thinking, at the time you're playing with, hey, they're good players. They're really good. We dominate. We'll win. They were Hall of Fame players. You don't realize it at the time until like, as you go on later in life. Ken Herrock is our guest. So, Ken, after you were done with the Raiders, Cincinnati, the Patriots, you come back to the Raiders. I really am fascinated on what Mr. Davis, and when you talk about your connection with Ron Wolf. What did they see from you as a player that they knew you would be great when it came to being inside the building as a talent evaluator? Did Was that something you brought to them and told them you were interested in, or did they see that in you and bring you in saying, we need more from you? Well, they, they may have seen it in me, but I always uh, attributed my, my success to five keys. Number one, I was always a pretty tough physical player. I was smart. I worked hard. I was a good guy. And I really love the game. And I think they, they recognize those uh, those uh, traits in me, and that's why they probably brought me along. What did you learn early on as a talent evaluator from your mentors around you? What was key? Because now guys are getting out on the road. I talk to Gil Brandt all the time. And, and Gil, when he was starting to come up with the computer models later on and getting on the road to the small black colleges, which Mr. Davis was famous for, what was your specialty early on as an evaluator? Well, as an evaluator, you have to go back to those days in 1970. The evaluation is quite different than they are today. Yeah. In those days, we didn't bring a player in. We didn't test them. I'm uh, and it, there was only me and Ron Wolf scouting at that time. And prior to me, it was only Ron Wolf. And uh, I can remember my first year. I have everything east of the Mississippi. I'm going to Ohio State. We're drafting Jack Tatum. And I'm going, we never timed him. We never met him. All I knew is when I went there, he was a damn good football player, and he could run. They said he's the fastest guy on a team. 
Then I go to Bowling Green, Phil Villapiano. I'm thinking, wow, Phil Villapiano is a really good player. And I knew the, I knew the head coach. He became the head coach at West Virginia University, my alma mater. And so uh, those, are, those are the way we did it. It wasn't like all this stuff that they're doing today. And uh, you had to have a feel. You had to, you had to recognize talent. You learned that talent from being around Mr. Davis, watching film, watching tape, looking for traits at all the different positions. And he taught you that. He made sure you saw it. Did you, he always say, did you see that? Did you see that? And when you saw that, you knew that was a trait you're looking for in whatever position we were uh, discussing. Ken Herrock is our guest, legendary Raider player and talent evaluator with Mr. Davis and Ron Wolf. So this is fascinating to me. So you're packing to go on the road. You're traveling. You're by yourself. You don't have a staff of three or four other guys. And that's incredible, the knowledge you were able to bring back, back to Oakland at that time and, and stay stay focused on your job and then have to catch a plane and go back to the other side of the country. How demanding were those years for you? Because the pressure must have been on. Mr. Davis always wanted the right players. He was demanding. He expected you to get it right. How did you handle that pressure? Well, I, I never considered it pressure. I felt like if I knew my job, I could have to do it, whatever I had to do. I, I never considered it pressure. I just wanted to make sure I was doing it right. Uh, I, I can remember going – yeah, he hands me a, a, a notebook, a black notebook. Hey, go find me some players. Didn't really tell me how to do it until I got back into the organization, showing me what to do. And uh, uh, he expected you to know every height, weight, speed of any player. Don't look at a note. Don't look at your sheet. It's in your head. And Ron, Ron had a photographic mind, so he was able to do that. And I'm thinking to myself, the guy's got a photographic mind. This guy knows he wants to know everything. How am I going to do this? But I did it. <laughs> I was able. I don't think I had a photograph of mine, but I, I knew what I knew every height, weight, speed, and everything you had to know. And I can just tell you one little incident that happened to uh, me when I was with the Raiders. It really shows uh, how Mr. Davis was demanding. I was coaching at the time during a preseason with John Madden. I was coaching special teams at tight end, and I, I really did a good job. My first preseason game of coaching, I had all the special teams going. No mistakes, no errors, no nothing. I had this big sheet in front of me. Who's the Who's the third wing? Who's the third fullback? Who's this? Who's that? I come into the locker room, and I'm up there, and Mr. Davis goes, hey, you. Whenever you heard, hey, you, that meant trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, uh-oh, what did I do? He says, hey, you, come here. I said, I don't ever want to see that sheet again on that field. You put it all up in your head. And that's the way he was. He wanted it up in your head. He didn't want you to look at some notes, some things. To bring something back, he wanted you to know it and be be, be perfect in what you were doing. That was that, that was demanding. That was probably one of the most demanding parts of the job. You know, Ken, I've talked to so many people over the years who have been coaches in that war room with Mr. Davis when it comes to the draft, and they say the same thing: head up, no notes, and know what you got when he calls on you. I mean, is there anything That's more exactly unique right. that anything more unique in your career than being in a draft day war room? with Al Davis, because we don't see owners like that anymore. There's no owners other than Jerry Jones, and Jerry Jones was never the evaluator that you were or Mr. Davis or Ron Wolf. So did you feel like on draft day, when you had to make decisions, you had to have it all locked in, and you better have your answer if you were called on, and there weren't many guys in the room, as you said, much less individuals in the room than we see today where it's standing room only. Well, all I know is that when it came, when it came to taking a pick, and he had a couple of guys up there. Mr. Davis was demanding, you better make sure you were going to make yeah. the right pick. Because if you didn't, you'd hear about it in about 
six months or eight months later. And uh, absolutely, I mean, I I I got my ass chewed out a few times, and uh, uh, I'm sure Ron did too. But uh, uh, we were always uh, always there to try to pick the right player, and he was always there. And what, what you respected about him was he did the work. He just wasn't sitting in a room throwing out names. He did the work. He did the grinding. He did the film. He went to the All Star game, and later on he went to the combine. He did the work, and that's what you respected. And he knew what he was looking for, and he tried to relay that information of what he was looking for to the people who were working for him. Ken Herrock is our guest. Hey, I, I found out that you came back to the Raiders for a while just before Mr. Davis passed away. You helped revamp the video department, and you've always been welcome around the organization. What's that like when you feel like you're still family? You can come in. You can give your opinion especially back then when the organization really needed you as they were kind of modernizing and trying to upgrade? Well, uh, after Mr. Davis passed, Mark asked me to come in and help him. I came in and, and offered some advice. I re-evaluated all the departments, gave my uh, opinion what what has to be done in uh, all the departments and all the scouting, everything from that standpoint. And, uh, you know, recommended Reggie McKenzie at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think Reggie did a good good job while he was there. That's how I helped Mark get through that transition period after that, after he passed. Ken, as we wrap it up, once a Raider, always a Raider, what does it mean to you when you're called an Oakland Raider and now a Las Vegas Raider? What does the organization mean to you today? It means, it means a tremendous amount to me. To give you an idea, I was in Pittsburgh this weekend after I went to West Virginia for the spring game, and I was with my friends, uh, high school friends. I mean, we're all old. There's eight of them in the Mountain 10. You know what I brought them? Raider T-shirts in <laughs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> that's, that's what it means to me. Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate your time. Thanks, JT. Appreciate it. Go you Raiders. Allegiant is going the distance for health and safety on the ground and in the air. Because the further we go now, the safer it'll be to go farther tomorrow. Allegiant, the official airline of the Las Vegas Raiders. Low fares, nonstop flights, only at Allegiant.com. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Super Bowl champion, one of the greatest Raider defensive ends of all time. Great to catch up with Greg Townsend again. Greg, good to talk to you. I hope you're well. How are you? Good, JT. How you doing, my man? I heard you was under the weather. Yeah, I got a little voice problem, but I'm working through it. Take me back to your draft and where you went in the fourth round, the 110th pick. Were you surprised by that with your athleticism and what you did in college? Where, where did you think you were going to go and what were your expectations like coming into your draft? Well, first of all, yeah, I thought I was going to be a free agent because I came in as an undersized defensive lineman slash linebacker. Uh, wasn't getting no lot of feedback from anybody. I was going to a lot of combines, a uh, lot of workouts. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had left school at that point at TCU. I left. I was doing all my workouts at USC. So I got a chance to see my friend Don Mosbar before I knew he was Don Mosbar. <laughs> wow. But uh, we did all our workouts there. I didn't get no feedback or nothing. So, yes, I was very, very surprised to get the phone call as the 110th player pick. Uh, Dan Connors called me, matter of fact, and asked me, hey, how would you like to be a Raider? <laughs> we just chose you in the fourth round. And that, that was the best news I ever heard in my ears, man, because, uh, like I said, I thought I was going to be a free agent. Greg, what was the key to your development early on? What did Al Davis see? And talk about your position coaches where they could find your talent, obviously put more weight on you 
and talk about more of the mentors there that got you up to speed to be a great player early. Well, uh, like I said, uh, I was undersized defensive end. So when I came in the day before or a couple of days before the draft, I sat down with Tom Flores and congratulations to him on his awards for the Hall of Fame. I sat down with Tom Flores and um, he says, uh, my defensive line coach liked what he saw. He said, I gave him the tape and he saw your takeoff, your kid off on the ball. And he came back to my room five minutes later and said, we want to get that guy. So I guess it was my takeoff that they saw that they wanted to work with. And then when I got to camp, Earl Leggett, who was the master of defensive linemen, uh, you know, he coached some of the best defensive linemen ever. Uh, he he sat down and we, we went over some pass rush moves. We went out on the field. We worked on a field. And, man, it was just like peeling bananas. It was just so easy. So once I got on the field and be able to, to go go with the moves live, I saw my I saw my future with the Raiders. Put it like that. Greg Townsend is our guest. So obviously, some Super Bowl champions on that team, and some really good players, and the Mavericks, and the guys who like to party and have a lot of fun. How did you stay under control? What was your like life like off the field? with all the intensity on the field and the life off the field in Los Angeles with this team? Well, you know, I'm an L.A. boy anyway, so yeah. I understand I understand about the, the party crowd, the scene, and, and the nightlife. But for me, it was about being accepted as a Raider. They were a new team down there in Los Angeles at that time in 1983, and I want to be accepted as a Raider. And, you know, since some of the great Raiders like the Rod Martins, the Fred, uh, the, the, the uh, Cliff Branches, uh, just all the greats, the Lester Hayes. It, it was just like, I want to be one of these guys. And it became in my third game of that year when I picked up a fumble uh, and ran it back 66 yards on Monday Night Football. Uh, things started rolling for me after that because uh, even the next week after that, I went to Denver and got a safety. And then the weekend after that, I went to and I made, uh, I got a fumble call against uh, Riggins, and it was, uh, I believe they hadn't fumbled in two years at that point. So in over 660-some carries, they hadn't fumbled. So I was getting some notoriety just by making plays and becoming one of those Raiders who just making things happen when they get out on the field. And I was, you know, I, you know, I thank God for all that because, you know, we weren't getting taught all this stuff. This stuff was just happening, as you saw, playing football. Greg Townsend is our guest. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Take our audience behind the scenes, the impact that Howie Long had on you, your life, and as a football player, and off the field. Well, Howie, Howie was actually my, uh, was my nemesis, if you would say. I compared my game to him because I want to always outplay him. But it was the Reggie Kinlaws, the ones who grabbed me under their wing and uh, showed me how to be a pro, how to come to work every day, how to put in the hard work, how to shut my mouth, how to uh, uh, just do what I'm told, per se, and just be just become good at it, at it and let my game speak for itself. So, uh, again, it was Reggie teaching me and showing me, and then there was Howie, who was, who was the one who I wanted to compare my game to. So that's how you, I played this game, along with playing my compare my game to other defensive ends as well, but... He was one of them. Yeah, that's really interesting to me, Greg, because you had a great career. And, it's you know, sometimes defensive players are comparing themselves to players in the league 
on other teams. It's Lawrence Taylor. It's Reggie White. Currently, it's J.J. Watt. You had a guy, uh, Reggie Kinlaw's name comes up all the time, all the time when I'm around, you know, guys like you and the legends all talking about the impact and the double team and how he was able to just do his job, and he was a great teammate. But then to the guy that you're looking at on the other side and Howie Long, knowing you wanted to be better than him, and you're traveling with him and you're in the hotel with him, you're at practice with him, you're able to see the player that you want to be every day. That's special. Yeah, it is special. Uh, and, again, again, that's why you congratulate the, the great coach of Vera Leggett because he had to deal with both of us, and not only just both of us, he had a lot of talent on that defensive line. Uh, now, again, you're right. I get to see how he see how he trains, see how he prepares. I get to see how he uh, approaches the game, how he approaches uh, uh, opponents. And, and, and it was that type of deal that set me off to do my own thing. So once I and, – and, 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 again, I always believed there was two ways of to skin a cat. So – if he was going to study all night, I was going to party all night. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if he was studying, I think, of, why, why need both of us studying, right? <laughs> let's, what about let's one of us go? Let's let's one of us go out there with this kind of mind frame that we can dissect them, and let's the other one go out there with the mind frame. Let's go out there reckless and abandoned with some discipline. Share a good Lyle Alzeo story with us if you have one. I'm sure you got 30 of them. Give us a good you one. Know I, you know I do. You know I do. Well, I tell you, uh, it was the one that I, uh, I remember getting up early in the morning. I mean, not early in the morning, but we got up to have our pregame meal, and I said good morning to Lyle, and, and he said good morning back, and he says – how you feel, Greg? And I, you know, all this stuff is catching me off guard because a lot don't talk like this. <laughs> and he says, I noticed you got a good night's sleep. I was like, how do you notice? Well, one, he saw a young lady coming out of my room. <laughs> and the next, he said, you still got the pillow mark on your face. <laughs> so I know you slept hard. <laughs> he said, so I know you're going to play hard. <laughs> and it was actually that uh, New Year's game that we played our playoff game against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Wow. And if you recall, if you recall, Lyle had two sacks in that game, and so did I. Because there I was, again, a, a young pup, comparing my game to somebody that knew what the game was all about. Wrapping up with Greg Townsend. It, it was just encouraging, and it was encouraging for an older guy like Lyle to not uh, reprimand me for having a young lady leaving my room at that night. At that time of night, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Who's the greatest quarter? Who's the greatest quarterback you've ever gone up against on a consistent basis? It has to be John Elway. John, Absolutely. John Elway. You know, he came out the same year I did. He played on the Denver Broncos, so they were in our division. So he was another one. Again, this is how I played this game. I knew this guy was a number one pick. I knew this guy was very talented. He was drafted even in baseball. So it was. It came down to be if I could just get this guy on the ground, maybe this is why the Raiders drafted me in the first place, to chase a guy like this. And, and, and you know, I average, I average about two sacks a game against him. So I've got, I've got in a total of wow. 45 sacks against John Elway. So, again, he brought out my A game, not, neither, neither less to say. Wait a second. You're in the 100-sack club. You had over 100 right. sacks, and Elway was the guy you got to the most. Yes. That's something. He was the guy. He was the guy I got it up for. I really did. When we played against Denver at home in a way, and, of course, our fans got up for that game because uh, 
either one we went to, it was a sellout. And I love Met- that. I love that when the crowd is there, can watch me play. Wrapping it up with Greg Townsend. Uh, Greg, quickly, I wanted to ask you about this team now. They brought in Gus Bradley to de- be the defensive coordinator. Gruden has the offense pretty dialed in. Just like Gus would say, these guys need to develop fast. Uh, and get this game to where they plan this game from a, a defensive point of view to complement our offense. Our offense is clicking on all cylinders, you ask me. I mean, they score enough points that when you go out there on defense, it allows you to kind of play a little free. It don't allow you to, to play uh, base and, and, and just drink. It just allows you to play free. So I like to see the guys play like Gus wants them to play fast, and develop. I mean, just develop. Get reps. Get real reps to where they they gain tempo, to where you can get that. So, and I would like to try to help that ball club any kind of way I can. I know they need a a big pass rush, and I'm able to do that. I still train guys for pass rushing. So, I would like gus and i to sit down and talk about this type of deal because i think i can get them guys going myself well i love the fact you said that you know coach gruden loves to have the alumni around and the players who built this entire program and i'm, I'm going to send this and the raiders will get this to gus bradley immediately as we wrap this up finally greg what's your relationship like with mark davis and what do you think about everything that's happening here in vegas well you know mark and i go back from 1983 so we've been we've been knowing each other and knowing of each other since that time. Uh, I know Mark wants to uh, win badly, and so he got his team in a new new town like Vegas, uh, a place where everybody would love to come. Whether, whether they are Raider fan or not, they would love to come see the opponent play even. They just, that's a city they love to come. And I just love to see Mark make a, his mark, mm-hmm. <laughs> no pun intended, in Las Vegas, because that's a really good town to make your mark in, and and I'm just rooting for him. I love the guy, and uh, I know he loved the Raiders as much as most of us do that played. So uh, we just wish him all the best. Awesome, Greg. Great to see. You. I hope to see a bunch this year. The stadium opening up, fans coming out, and you're a big part of the history of this team. And my phone's blowing up. I'm getting texts from Cisco in the black hole. All my black hole guys are, like, giving me thumbs up. That's our guy. That's our guy. So hopefully we see you out here soon. Be well. Thanks for coming on. You will, JT, and thank you very much. Bye-bye, Thank you. Advanced security from Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi protects your connected devices from online threats 24-7. But, hey, you're probably safe without it. Probably. Like how that free streaming website was probably not a scam. Someone's probably not stealing your bank info as we speak to buy a four-story Chalet Grand. Yeah, you're probably fine. Or you could know your network is covered with advanced security from Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Restrictions apply. Copyright 2020 Cox Communications, Inc. All rights reserved. Carmen Cavelli, kind enough to join us, an original Raider of 1960. Carmen, thanks so much for your time. I hope you're doing well. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for the opportunity to be one of the original Raiders. Yeah, tell me about that. What does that mean to you, the 1960 inaugural season? Tell us the backstory on, on how you ended up on the roster. Well, how, how I ended up was, uh, as you may know or you may not know, Minnesota was uh, coming into the league, and I was drafted along with some other guys to go to Minnesota. And when Minnesota decided not to come because they were going to get a franchise by the NFL, said so they would give them a franchise if they didn't go into the AFL. 
So uh, some of us got put in a pool again, and the Raiders picked me uh, as a number one, believe it or not. I think yeah. that was the way it worked out. And uh, I got an opportunity. In the meantime, Buffalo said that they had my opportunity. But uh, I, I, w- I heard from the Raiders that I was uh, their property. So that's how it happened. But uh, today... Uh, I feel I feel privileged that I was an original Raider. Although I got hurt right away at, at the second game, the second game, the first game of the next season, I didn't play that long. But uh, I, I started every game in uh, 1960 for the Raiders. That's an with, amazing uh, accomplishment. Language, along with Charlie Powell, and mm-hmm. uh, we we had a decent run, not not a great run, but a decent run, and. Uh, I I I always uh, I always imagined that was a a lifetime achievement for me, coming from a small school like the University of Richmond, and uh, competing against guys from Notre Dame and and uh, Wisconsin and Texas, and I'm sitting in the stands with all these guys with a number on your helmet, saying, "What the heck am I doing here?" And uh, once we got on the field, I felt like. Uh, all these guys put their pants on the same way I do, one leg at a time. So, you know, we got on the field. We did a lot of drills. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt like uh, I could compete with anybody on the drills and the hitting. And, that, and the, the thought of me making a team came to my mind right away. And uh, I got pretty friendly with a guy named Jim Otto. Sure. <laughs> and... Jim at the time was a 225 center out of Miami. And he says, you know, Carmen, we can make this team. All we got to do is play every day and play like it means something to us. And uh, that's the way I took that that uh, that year, mm-hmm. you know, coming all the way from Philadelphia, University of Richmond, and down in California. So awesome. it was a, a memorable yeah, it's very memorable. Carmen Cavalli joins us, an original Raider, 1960 defensive end. And, Carmen, on that team, Jim Otto is obviously in the Hall of Fame, and you got the news about Coach Tom Flores, who was the quarterback on that initial 1960 inaugural season. What did you think about that when you heard the news on Coach Flores? I thought it was very deserving. He, he's, a, he's a heck of a guy, a heck of a coach, and I still keep a letter that I sent to him uh, the first time that the Raiders played the Philadelphia Eagles and, uh, you know, wishing him all the best. You know, I was with the Eagles for a short time too. So, but it's my hometown, but I, I'm a Raider born and a Raider bred. And I said, when I die, I'll be a Raider dick. Well, that's <laughs> so, great because this is a big deal because being an original Raider and then what happened after your injury, this is something that you go back to, I'm sure with your family and your friends and, a high honor here to see the Raiders, the success they had in Oakland, Los Angeles, and now they're in Las Vegas. When you got the word that they were coming out to Vegas, the entertainment capital, did that take a little while for that to sink in that the Raiders were moving again? Yeah, it did. You know, at first, you know, I was speculating that it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen, but it had happened. I can remember real quick. I can remember my wife and I going to a Raider game in 1980, I guess it was, when when the Raiders were uh, coming from L.A. and we were at an Oakland game, the uh, in fact they were mm-hmm. the uh, 
people from uh, Los Angeles were sitting at a bar with us. And we were talking to this guy, and, he, and I said, you came all the way from L.A. to see a Ra- Oakland Raider game? He says, yeah, I did. And, you know, I introduced myself, and I said, you know, Carmen, Oakland is where the Raiders belong. And I, although I was a season ticket holder in L.A., the Raiders is where the, the football team believe, uh, belongs. So I, I, it was good to hear. But uh, – now I'm glad. I'm glad they got a new home, and I'm glad that the, the you know the Davis family is running the team. I, I never I remember meeting Al Davis. Real quick story: I was at the first uh, Super Bowl game that the Raiders were in. I guess it was '67, '68. Yeah, Super Bowl two. Yeah. Yes, and uh, I wasn't with the team, but I was in Miami, and I called Jim. I said, Jim. Jim Otto. I said, Jim, I said, my friend here, uh, Bob Travellini and myself would like to go to game. You think he can get us tickets or get us? And he says, you meet me at the, at the stadium. I'll talk to Mr. Davis. So we got to the stadium. I told Jim I was there. He sent somebody out. And the guy says, uh, uh, Jim Otto wants to see you right away. So he took us both in. In fact, uh, Bob Travellini was the trainer for the Denver uh, NBA team. Mm-hmm. So anyway, to make a long story short, he says, Al Davis wants you and your friend to have pregame meal with us and follow the team into the stadium. And wow. That was awesome. That was Oh, my awesome. God. I said, what a story. I, I, it's, it's never left me, you know. <laughs> my, my buddy passed away. Not too long ago, but anyway, he said, Carmen, this is unbelievable. We're at the first Raiders Super Bowl, and we're eating and and uh, walking into the stadium and staying on the sideline with the team. This is unbelievable. Incredible. Going up against Lombardi and the Packers. Yeah. Hey, Carmen, I know you got a birthday coming up here in June. I guess you'll be 84 years old. Tell everybody what you're doing now. Well, right now we're in a, a retirement village, and okay. I play golf. I still play golf uh, nine to 12 holes every two weeks. And uh, my wife and I do a little traveling. We, I got a grandson that plays baseball close by. We go to all his high school games. And uh, other than that, uh, we have a lot of people down in Nashville, Tennessee, and we go mm-hmm. do a little travel and take a little ride to see them once in a while. But we used to go away for the winter as snowbirds mm-hmm. down to Destin, Florida. I don't know if you know yeah. where that is in the panhandle. And this year we decided to pack it in and just, you know, go see the ball games and good have feel. a Yeah. So it, it was good. It Excellent. Was good. Well, let, let me wrap it up by saying it's an honor in my position to talk to a 1960 original Raider like yourself who went on to have a great life and great family we hope to see you, and you can make a trip out here to Vegas so we can honor you in Las Vegas when the season opens up or down the road whenever your schedule permits. Thanks for doing this, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network.